Hey, it's Misty and Liz. We're two women who don't know shit about literature, but we love to hang out and talk about the books we've read. And everything else on our minds. So get cozy, grab a drink, and let's get started. Hello. Hey. Welcome to Talkin' Shitterature. Oh my god, I feel like I haven't been here in three years. It's been a month. Well, it feels like a long damn I know. Two weeks and one month are different. No. To me, it's the same. Okay. <laughs> well, no. recording every two weeks and recording every month is a lot different for me. Yes, it is. When going from every two weeks to a month feels like we are taking like seasonal breaks. Right. Like this is our spring episode. Right. Because <laughs> I haven't seen you since the last episode. Yeah. So. I actually had time to read an extra book. So one of the recent new releases was This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. Oh my god, it was so good. It was good. It was so good. It was this lady that like found a way back in time, which I know that makes it sound like woo-woo, but she like found a way back in time to her 16th birthday, and it was right when her dad was in the hospital and he was dying, and she got to go back and hang out with her dad then and just like appreciate her father. When you're 16, you don't appreciate your parents. No, you don't appreciate shit. It's just, like, the comfort she finds from, like, going back and hanging out with her. Oh, my God, I could cry. I was, like, crying so hard reading it, but I didn't want it to stop. And then it ended, and I was I had, like, the biggest book hangover. Like, I still don't even want to read another book yet. It was such a good book. That sounds good. So yeah. what moment would you go back to? I have no idea. I'd have to, like, really think about it. Were you, like, Maybe thinking about like, that when you were reading it? Like, what? would I go back to? Because No, I was really thinking about, like, I mean, we watched our dad die, and Mm -hmm. it was awful. And thinking about all the moments that we took for granted. Yeah. So, like, you know what would be fun is that time we went to Panama. Oh, my God. Our our family vacation to Panama, and I got a hair wrap. (laughs) And I I did, too. It had, like, yin-yang charms on it. Yes. And our dad put down the sunroof, and he turned up Tootsie Roll really loud to embarrass you. It was so funny. It was embarrassing. And Mama and Daddy, like, laughed and had fun. Like, we were, like, a real family. Yeah, it was – everything felt good then. That's when we were, like, passed by, like, Club La Vila. Yeah, with Tootsie Roll, and I was, like, mortified. Because I was, like, 14, 13 or 14 or something like that. Yeah. Like, old enough to, like, hate my parents. Yeah. Also, when we started that trip, remember we got on the expressway? We didn't even get on the <laughs> we interstate. We got over, like, on the, like, on-ramp of the interstate. And we had donuts, and you and I were fighting. And so, Daddy pulled over and, like, ripped them from our hands and threw them in the trunk. I think from... Pineville, Louisiana to, like, the Florida line. We didn't talk. We didn't. (laughs) We were too scared. Like, we just sat there, like, with our eyes bug-eyed and just, like, crap. So, anytime I hear the song Tootsie Roll, I immediately am taken back to that vacation. But I learned on TikTok the other day where it says, cotton candy sweet as gold. I thought it was sweet as gold. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it's cotton candy sweetie go. And my life Uh shattered. Because everything no, I thought I knew was sweet gone. as gold. No, I no, it's sweetie go. Because when you think about well, how is something sweet as gold, that's not even that that in itself doesn't make sense. That makes perfect sense. But it did at the time when you sing. When it you still sing makes it. sense. <laughs> and that song, but when you break it down, it's like imagine wait. if you had a cookie and it was like shining this golden ember light. Wouldn't that be the sweetest cookie you've ever had? <laughs> Okay, or like um, an Easter egg cookie that's a golden egg. A Cadbury cream bag. Maybe they're talking about Easter Sunday. Maybe so. <laughs> right? Because you can get Tootsie Rolls for Easter. 
a Christian. It's a religious song. It's it is. It's basically gospel music. Basically. And whenever we go to the church, we should bring that up. Right. Do you want to hear about some July 2022 new releases? Yes. All right. I've got six here. There is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And what? Tomorrow and Tomorrow. <laughs> You're full of it. No, it's, it's by not. Gabrielle Zevin. And the little blurb said, Sam and Sadie create a blockbuster video game, Ichigo. And then over the next few decades, their friendship is tested as their success leads them to money, fame, love, mm. and betrayal. Mm. Um, so that one sounded pretty good. It had a cute little cover, so that's why. I'm oh, that look, one. that's me. Every time, like I even if I go to the bookstore now, I'm automatically drawn to the ones with like the super cute, super fun cover. Oh, 1, and I read the back percent. and I'm like, I would hate this, but I really want it because the cover's cute. So pretty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's one. I put this one on here for you. It's called Dirtbag Massachusetts, a confessional. And it's by Isaac Fitzgerald. And it's basically a memoir and essays, mm-hmm. which I immediately think David Sedaris, but it says it contains childhood trauma, self understanding and acceptance, growing up in a homeless shelter. And taking control of his own life. Yeah, It sounded like a really good read. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I really want to get it now. I, I want to read it. It also had a cool cover, so. Oh. Like, okay, so trauma and cool cover? Yeah. Best. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's a book called Reputation by Sarah Vaughn. This woman, Emma, is a politician, and she is lobbying to tighten online bullying laws, which is kind of, like, relevant mm-hmm. to today. Right. And then a body is found in her house, and she has to protect her reputation. There was a lot of murder books released this month. There was almost too many. Uh, Too many? I know. Isn't that strange? It was a lot to sit there. I didn't want it to be like the same book over and over. Right. Well, we're kind of like, okay, it's July, but it's kind of like that downhill slip to fall and like that kind of which i'm kind of yeah speaking of you saw there's gonna be a new hocus pocus movie i did do you like hocus pocus um i like the idea of hocus pocus yeah but i watched it with my kids and they said virgin way too many times for Mm. me to feel comfortable with watching it with my kids okay like every time they said it i'm like cringing hoping they don't ask me what a virgin is I've never seen Hocus Pocus all the way through. What? No, I've watched it into a certain point. It's kind of like other movies where, like, it'll be on and, like, I... A Christmas Story. Um, I've seen that 9,000 times all the way yeah, through. Yeah, but... Ne- really? All yeah! the way through? Oh, God, yeah. And then I watch it again. Oh, God, no. I've seen it like, all in pieces. Grease? I've never watched that beginning to end. But Shut I've up. seen... Even I've seen that. But I've, <laughs> I've seen it, like, in bits and pieces that probably make up the entire movie. Yeah. Um, Dirty Dancing, same thing. Like, I've never oh, yeah. watched that and watched that. All I know is Baby. Nobody puts Baby in a corner. Yeah, and it also, boy, I'm getting, I'm getting like, off into, like, different things. Tangent land. Tangent land. I did not know that Dirty Dancing. Okay, so, obviously, Ruby Wade, I was on TikTok, and they kind of brought up Dirty Dancing and how that parallel to what is going on right now. That is why Baby was in the, was put in. The as, corner? Well, <laughs> in the dance, I get it's because the person that she was replacing had had an abortion. Oh. She was pregnant and that's what she was doing. I did not know that. 
I didn't either. So this whole time, people... Were, yeah, but Greece is also, like, about pregnancy. I mean, not about abortion. Right. But Greece... There's things that slip mm-hmm. by when you're little that oh, you yeah. don't notice. Right. So I, I may have... Like, I think I've seen parts. Like, aren't they, like, at a camp? Yeah. With, like, her parents or yeah. something? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of, like, weird hip grinding. There is. But, like, a, not sexy hip grinding. No, no, no. That's pretty, Very, like, humping, uncomfortable. Like, dry humping. Super this, uncomfortable hip grinding. That's where all Where are these people at that when the clock strikes 10, everyone just starts, like, dry humping? I don't know. To, like, music. I couldn't Where are the parents? It. And, like, apparently Jennifer Grey, she's, like, supposed to be, like, a teenager. She's a full-on woman in that movie. Yeah, Greece too. They well, yeah. have like more wrinkles than me. Right. Like, come on. Right. You're 36, not 16. All so. right. So I also have Acts of Violet. That Ooh. I know. But, but you're not going to like this. Oh. By Margarita Mo- Montemore. She wrote the book Una Out of Order, which sounds like a really good book to me. I actually had it picked as a book for you whenever mm-hmm. I thought we were going to like pick books for each other mm-hmm. because it sounded like one that you would like. But The Acts of Violet is about a magician named Violet Volk who disappeared into thin air she, like, a, like a decade ago. And her sister Sasha has kind of like always lived in her sister's like celebrity shadow. And an obsessed podcaster oh. aggressively pursues Sasha for an interview, and it pushes Sasha to, like, her emotional limit and forces her to confront her past. Wow. Does that sound like a book that you would like? It does. When you said magician, I was uh, kind of like... That's why I said you're not going to like out. it. But the rest of it sounded really good. Yeah. Then there's one called What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher, and it is basically a retelling of The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. Did you ever read that? No, it's but about, I have wanted to. Okay, it's about, I thought it might be fun for like one of us to read Fall of the House of Usher and one of us to read that book. Oh, that would be good. Month. Alex goes to help his childhood friend Madeline, but like shit's real weird at her house. There's like fungal <laughs> growths in the house oh. and like possessed wildlife. And she's, like, weirdly sleepwalking and speaking in strange voices at night. And her brother's got all this shit going on with him. And, like, there's this weird lake by the house. So it sounds, like, super creepy. So, and the cover was, like, really fucking weird. Mm -hmm. And the person, like, one of the websites that I was reading, the person was, like, "Uh, the book's just as strange as the cover. And I was, like, that sounds really really weird weird. Um, and then the last one that I have is A Prayer for the Crown Shy by Becky Chambers. And this is the second book of that Monk and Robot series mm-hmm. that I think I did a little blurbisode on. And that's just... Monk and Robot. Monk and Robot. <laughs> and I think the blurb or whoever said uh, the book was basically like just getting a big hug. Which is how the first uh, one was. Remember, yeah. it was like very comforting and like relaxed and everything. So I definitely want to read that one. It might be good for me to read after this time tomorrow killed me so a good book hangover (sighs) i don't think i've had a book hangover that bad since like sharp objects oh shit yeah it was bad sharp objects was sharp all right one last thing before we get started my friend jade started selling making and selling these like bookish stickers Mm -hmm. on etsy Mm -hmm. her her shop is etsy.com backslash shop izzy blades studio which she spells it really weird, so I'm going to have to put that on the Instagram. But I got her to modify us some stickers here. Okay. So she made a sticker of you reading. Look how cute. 
And she made a sticker of me reading. That's you! I know. Look, I love it. And then she gave us each these little bookmarks. And they're basically like a little tarot card. And it says the reader. So do you want black or white? I don't know. These are precious. I want the white one. For my son, she has one that says, bookworm? I'm a book dragon. That's cute. She gave me one that says, go away, I'm reading little sticker she's so talented Uh, she is very talented oh my god these are adorable and i will put her info on the instagram i don't know where i'm gonna put this sticker i usually put my stickers on my ipad case well see the way that she modified it is it said something like sugar and smut or something about smut Mm. and i was like you think maybe you could take these words off because (laughs) both of us put our stickers on our ipad cases that our kids use i don't want to have to explain what smut is yeah I loved it that she put the logo on her. I know. She's the best. That's cute. Thanks, Jade. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay. So what book did we read? Okay. Okay. I want to call it Elias Grace. I don't know why. It does. That's not even the. That's a name. So someone on TikTok did a review and they called it Elias every single time. And I was like, oh my God, Misty. I know. Because I was like, did you, let's read Elias Grace. And you're like. Bitch, it's alias Grace. <laughs> and you were like, take that out. So I think I took it out and no one knows that you did that. But they do now. Well, okay. So alias Grace. Alias Grace by? You're, it's your favorite woman, Margaret My favorite. Margaret oh, Atwood. After researching her, she actually sounds like a fucking amazing woman. Really? Yes. Okay. okay. So, and... A couple of things that I read said that A Handmaid's Tale is very unlike anything else she's written. Mm-hmm. She's written a lot. She's actually written more than 50 books of fiction, poetry, critical essays, graphic novels, and children's books. What? She's Children? done a lot. Okay. She does, she's got books? like four or five children's books. Yeah. Mm. So I'm going to throw Handmaid's Tale out and just okay. be like, that one doesn't count. And honestly, I kind of feel like Alias Grace does not count either because it is... Based on a true story. Right. It's like so much a true story that it's. Right. Mm. So she can't, she couldn't control where that story went. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and throw that one out too. Okay. <clears throat> There's just like way too much to say about her. So I tried to make this as short as possible. She was born in 1939 in Ottawa, Canada as the second of three children to Carl and Margaret Atwood. who was named after her mama. Hmm. All right, so she divided her time between Ottawa and the bush of northern Quebec because her father was an entomologist doing research. What's an entomologist? Um, bugs. Okay, that's what I thought, but yeah. I didn't want to assume. Yeah. That's gross. So she actually didn't really attend school full-time until she was 12 years old. Kind of What'd crazy. she do? So I guess she was like just back and forth, maybe like a little, maybe your mom taught her something. Okay. And like, I don't know, maybe she, I have no idea. I didn't ask her. <laughs> Call her. <laughs> Can we get Margaret on the call, Oh, please? speaking of, I'm totally going to cut in because we have not talked about our bestie, Kristen Hanna, who, like... What did she do? Yeah, she... She re- retweeted our Instagram? Yeah, yeah she <laughs> retweeted... She she shared your story. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Oh, I was so excited. Oh, my God. And you didn't answer me, and I was like, this bitch here. Because like, I had no service. excited with me? I was out of town. Da- didn't have service. So whenever I got back into service, my phone was like, ding, 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 ding. And I looked, and I was like, are you kidding me? I know. It was awesome. awesome. So, Margaret Atwood, you need to do the same. Okay, so 
she was born in 1939. She's not a young person. <laughs> she's super active on social media. I know. Okay. She's what? She's born in 1939? I thought she was... 1939. Okay. So she's got a Twitter. She's got an Instagram. Like, she's very active on her social medias. Okay. Like, our grandmother, meanwhile, is like, how do you turn on the TV? Well, she's passed how away. How do you reset but... the clock? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, she she would call us, poor thing, and the phone would be upside down. Right. So, um, anyway, she, Margaret Atwood lived, like, in a ton of places. Canada, U.S., like, mainly, like, Massachusetts. But she also lived in Alabama for, like, a year. Oh, I wonder why. She's well, but I guess it was fucking hot. Probably because it was like research for something. If she worked at the University of Alabama, okay, in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. So all of her jobs are basically like professor, teaching, instructor, like universities, schools, whatever. She lived in England, Germany, France, Italy. She's lived in Toronto since. It's Toronto. It's Toronto. Okay. She began writing at five years old. Of Have you yet. noticed this trend of pretty much all the authors we've done? They've they've started writing at a very young age. Yeah, and they're very like esteemed in their very goals. Hashtag yeah. goals. Um, she graduated from Victoria College at the University of Toronto with her master's from Radcliffe College. And let's see, she's a very celebrated author with like many prizes and awards. She's gotten Booker prizes, Peace Prize. What prizes? Booker Prize? What? It's a booger. <laughs> <laughs> the snottiest book Margaret Atwood. Of course. Grace Marks is a snotty little brat. <laughs> um, she's gotten the Peace Prize of the German Book Trade, the Fran- Franz Kafka International Literary Prize, Penn Center USA Lifetime Achievement Award, and the LA Times Innovators Award. And Kazuo Ishiguro, you know, I talk mm-hmm. about him. Um, he did Never Let Me Go, Remains of the Day. We did a little blurb on Clara and the Sun. Mm-hmm. I really like him. He's like a, very much a deep thinking book, kind of like Margaret Atwood's are. Right. He actually apologized to Margaret Atwood for winning the Nobel Prize for Literature instead of her. Oh. Like, he, they were both up for it the same year, and he won, and he made a, an apology to her for it because he felt like she should have gotten just, uh, it. Well, Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Who do you think should have gotten it? Bitch, I don't know. <laughs> I just ask because I know you're a fan of his. I do really like him, but the mm-hmm. more I've read about Margaret Atwood, mm-hmm. she. So I hate Handmaid's Tale. Like I just hate. You it. do. Okay, so here's the thing: Handmaid's Tale is known more as a show than it is a book. Yes, and I still I'm about as soon as I finish Stranger Things, I'm canceling Netflix. I'm getting Hulu, and the first thing I'm going to watch is A Handmaid's Tale because I can guarantee you the show is a lot more fast paced than the book. And I also I found this with Alias Grace too that it is very slow, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily like a slow book. I, like, I don't either. I like action, so I think that's why one of the reasons I hated Handmaid's Tale is. Just the slow monotony it of it. It is not like that, the show, for okay. sure. Well, the book was. Mm-hmm. It's like very, just like Alias Grace, mm-hmm. it's very like, and then we do the laundry, and mm-hmm. then we do this, and then we, I'm going to explain this weird sex act to you in about 47 pages, and it's it's very slow, and I just, to me, I, I find myself thinking about other things, and then I have mm-hmm. to go back and reread it. So it's not like my style, but that's not to say it's not a good book. Right. Well, there's the thing. So I wanted to watch Handmaid's Tale, and I knew you had read it. So for a while, I didn't watch it. Because, because I said it sucked. Because you said it sucked. I'm not blaming on you, but <clears throat> it was obviously <laughs> your fault. But also, I thought in my head that Handmaid's Tale was, like, set back 
in the 1800s like this was so because it was the handmaid's tail and on the cover is someone with like a bonnet and i'm thinking oh this is like 1800s like this is so you were you were like no it's like dystopian like futuristic and i was like i literally asked you are we talking about the same book the story of handmaid's tail is fucking awesome mm-hmm. and like the reveal oh yeah because you don't know that it's future i don't know how the show goes but in the book it's like you get a lot of like present day stuff mm-hmm. and then you get flashbacks to the past and you mm-hmm. realize the past is like our world now mm-hmm. and the future's like you know obviously the future so the story of it's really good it was just like the monotony mm-hmm. of like the writing i guess yeah. is like or like the way that it was told wasn't like my favorite right which is so hard for me to believe because when you watch the show it's so almost genius it is it really is the story of it yes and it all makes sense like and Mm -hmm. you don't she didn't even have to like craft this huge society in that she kind of took what was going on now and just kind of elevated it Mm -hmm. to where it just all made sense like everything just like made sense yeah and she did and that's how the show is and so I don't want to read the book because I enjoy the show so much that, yeah. and which is really weird for me because I always enjoy the book more than the show. Yeah. And I want to watch Elias Grace because. <laughs> I the, did watch Elias Grace. Did you? Did you? Mm-hmm. Was it, was it good? I heard it was better than the book. Um, I felt it very much mirrored the book. Mm-hmm. I think she was actually a consultant to the mm-hmm. show. There were a couple differences, obviously, for, like, screenplay, like, making it work mm-hmm. visually. They mm-hmm. had to make some changes to it. But it, there, there was things that they said that I remember exactly from the book. So some of their statements were exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really slow. It was kind really? of like the book. It was slow, but it was only six episodes. Mm. A couple of them I watched at like 1.25 speed. Oh, God. Now, Handmaid's Tale is literally like six, five or six seasons. So I have a feeling they the book. So I think my friend told me that they did the first season is based on the book and uh-huh. the rest of it's like. Just to off. spin off. But she actually wrote the sequel to Handmaid's Tale in 2019 and it's called The Testaments. And I'm pretty sure it's like the second one. I'm going to have to watch it and I'll get back to you on like the comparison. But also it's been a while since I've read The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Watch me go back and like reread Handmaid's Tale and it's like the best book I've ever read. <laughs> well, I watched it during the pandemic. That's when I started it. Mm-hmm. And so I it's need not depressing to, at all. I think there's been like two more seasons or maybe one season. I know another season just kind of came out recently. I want to like rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Or not rewatch, but continue. It is very upsetting for sure. So Margaret Atwood was also the first writer to contribute to the Future Library Project. Do you remember that? Yes. Ocean Vong was actually a contributor. <sighs> mm-hmm. So we talked about this then, but that's that's like a every year for 100 years, a writer is going to deposit a work of mm-hmm. a, a writing, and it's not even going to be opened until 2114. So the person that started the Future Library Project, she said, like, hands down, Margaret Atwood is my is my first pick. That's mm-hmm. the person that I want to be the first one in this thing. So that's really exciting. Can you imagine being that person? I mean, like, being Margaret Atwood and having someone say that? I know. So that's why I'm saying, like, I feel like, you know, obviously was quick to judgment. She sounds like a really cool. <laughs> yeah, but if you don't like it, you don't like it. I, okay, I didn't like it. Okay. All right. She's a fucking inventor also. She of invented course. this thing called the long pen, which is a remote signing device. So like at a book signing or mm-hmm. whatever, it allows a person to remotely write in ink 
anywhere in the world via computers and a robotic hand. Okay. Fucking crazy, right? And then, like, personal life, she was married to this guy named Jim Polk, who's an American writer, from 1968 to 73. But then after they got a divorce, she formed a relationship with Graham Gibson. They had a daughter in 1976. And she's, I think she's got, like, three kids now. So Margaret Atwood's got three grandkids. Graham already had two sons. That's basically, like, her stepsons. Mm -hmm. Um, He recently passed away in 2019. I think complications from, like, dementia or something. Some of her favorite books include Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, Kamoraska by Anne Bear. Although it had a little inflection mm-hmm. on the first A Bear. <laughs> Seven Gothic Tales by Isaac Denenson and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. So basically classics. So that's what I'll have on Margaret Atwood. You want to tell us about Alias Grace? A little story for you, okay? So there's this... Canadian maid when she was 16 she was convicted with her fellow servant James McDermott of murdering their master quote-unquote okay I guess their boss yeah Thomas I'm gonna say Thomas K how would you say his last name it's Kinnear Kinnear okay Mm -hmm. that's how I said in my head but I also call call it alias great I mean Elias Grace and his housekeeper slash lover Nancy Montgomery it was shot in the left side of his chest and Nancy was struck in the head with an axe and strangled yeah, the axe couldn't do the job, apparently. No, no. Then she had to be strangled. Um, she Should have called Lizzie Borden then. <laughs> yeah. Or that candy lady. Candy lady. I think they have a whole Hulu show about her, too. Brittany texted me. Oh, Candy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good show. Jessica Biel did an awesome job in that okay, show. Okay, well, I didn't know they even made it into a show, but I had just listened to a podcast about that crazy oh, bitch. Oh, really? And so I was like, oh, the one that, like, killed her friend with an axe on her way home from church? Yeah. Uh-huh. That was a really good, it was, that was very, very good. Okay, so Nancy was pregnant. Guess who she was pregnant by? Their master, Tommy K. Thomas oh. Kinnear. <laughs> Okay, as soon as she said Tommy K, I imagine him with, like, greased back hair and, like, a cool jacket. Oh, yeah. They had, I don't know, like, something written on the back, like, bad boys or something. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so. With a Z. With a bad boys. <laughs> so, James and Grace were arrested for the murders, um, and their trial took place in November of 1843. They blamed each other for the murders. Yeah, during obviously. The trial, obviously. Like, your fault, your fault, your fault. Um, both were convicted. McDermott was hung. He was sentenced to death. Before he walked to his death, McDermott said that Grace had strangled Nancy Montgomery herself with a piece of white cloth. So during this trial, everyone thought that Grace showed no emotion. They thought she was a weirdo. Like, she was obviously, like, she was guilty. They even said that she wore Nancy's clothes that belonged to Nancy Montgomery, which is weird, right? So weird. It's very weird. Some said she planned the whole thing. Others said she helped. And some people just said she was flat out insane. She was sentenced to life in prison and spent some of that time in an asylum. And after 30 years of incarceration, she was pardoned and moved to New York. Crazy. Why was she pardoned? I don't know. I couldn't find it. I couldn't either. It just kept saying she was was pardoned pardoned and moved. And moved out. And disappeared. So, that is the real story. That's what really happened. Grace Marks, the celebrated murderess. Yes. Famous Canadian murderers. So basically, Elias Grace is a true crime story because that is what this book is about. That is this book, Elias. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, it is a true story. It is. And I honestly didn't even realize it. I didn't know that either. I didn't realize it until later. I didn't know that most of the time. I think it was because the language. Yeah. The language of the book was written as in, as if we were in the 1800s Mm -hmm. with Grace. Right. It was very much like. Very formal. Oh, the whole book. Yes. It's very, very formal. So to me, it was almost like, you know, whenever you're in high school and you have to read Shakespeare, in the first couple chapters, you're like, what the fuck I, are I they can't even, even trying to say? Yes. Wait, I have a, an example. But Lydia is a confection, and he doesn't wish to deprive himself of such an aesthetic pleasure too soon. Right. Basically, Lydia's got a sweet ass, and he wants to look at her longer. Right, right. Just say that. Right. How hard is that, Atwood? <laughs> This is kind of, it's kind of like when we read the Greek book. Song of Achilles. Yeah. yeah. It took me a little bit. Yeah. So what I was going to say is like Shakespeare, the first couple chapters, I feel like I would have to write notes of what they meant in, mm-hmm. pl- in my plain English. But then after a while you get used to it and you can kind of like. Oh yeah. Like you as you start writing it. it kind of get used to it. Yeah. And then you read it, you kind of like sort it out in your head. But at first it's like, what? A Song of Achilles, I had to go back. Because it was so much. I did not realize yeah. this, that this was like a real, real story. Honestly, I wish I had known that when I started reading it. I don't know if I would have liked it more, but maybe I would have. Oh, maybe I would have read it in like Keith Morrison's voice. <gasps> what if <laughs> Keith Morrison does the audio version of it? So I opened the book and I was like, this shit sucks. <laughs> hated it. I'm so mad at it. I know it. you hate it. The whole time you're reading it, like, this is stupid. I hate this book. Yes, so I downloaded Audible again, mm-hmm. or I resubscribed. It's just like $18 a month and for it's one book. Dumb. But I had to get it because there's actually not an audio book except for on Audible, and it's an Audible exclusive. Of course. So. Who read it? Um, I don't remember, but pretty much most of the people hated her. I, actually, I didn't mind her. <laughs> Everyone was like, this narrator sucks. She's awful. Very monotone. I'm like, well, you know. I mean. Uh, you can only talk excitedly <laughs> about laundry for so long. They do spend a lot of time on stuff like that. So the book takes place in 1859, Ontario, Canada. Uh, the murders themselves took place in 1843. So the book goes back and forth uh, after Grace's many years in prison into her, her present day. Uh, where she's a housekeeper to the governor. So to me, that kind of sounded like the warden. Yeah, like the... Like he was over the prison. Not like the governor of the state. I read it as the governor. Oh. See, I read it as like the warden. But we don't know there. Why would the governor live on the prison grounds? I don't know. That's Canada. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of like a work release. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Definitely. She's work released to the house. So the governor's wife is part of a social reform advocacy group, and they all believe Grace is innocent. While she's working for the governor, a doctor named Simon Jordan comes to work with her. And I thought he was going to be like, I honestly thought this is like breakthrough. I thought he was going to like get to the root of it. Right. And there was going to be, I thought it was going to be like this climb to this part where she, you know, like she would remember things and like really. Yes. That's what I thought. Same. Yeah. The doctor has some new techniques that he says might help Grace since she swears she can't remember anything about the murders because she only remembers to a certain point. And then she claims to And then she claims not. But then as she remembers things, she remembers things kind of different. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing, too, was like her and McDermott, mm-hmm. like their stories never 
Never matched up. So, this was a super unreliable narrator. Yeah. Like, you cannot, you can't no. trust shit she says. No, because you would, it would change. Yeah. Which does not help her. And honestly, like, as she remembered things and as she told people things, I would really sit there as I was reading this and think, they're going to lock you up for the rest of your life. It's like she doesn't try so to I help sh- herself. I actually have this passage that I wrote down. Dr. Jordan is asking Grace about something. And Grace thinks, I know it is the book of Job. Before Job gets the boils and running sores and, and the whirlwinds, it's what Satan says to God. He must mean that he has come to test me, although he's too late for that, as God has done a great deal of testing me already. And you would think he would be tired of it by now. But I don't say this. I look at him stupidly. I have a good, stupid look, which I have practiced. I say... Have you been to France? That is where all the fashions come from. I see I have disappointed him. So she's a really, like, Mm -hmm. she's fucking smart. She's, like, she knows her Bible back and forth. And she might be uneducated, but she is not unintelligent. No, she's very intelligent. She's very cunning. And she's very smart. She's practiced her stupid look. And then, like, later when she gets released, she says she has to practice her, the arrangement of her face. Because this is a different Mm -hmm. arrangement altogether. So she under like she's a good actor. You know what it reminds me of convenience store woman. You know how she like kind of had to like, think yeah, about I how. I think that she like has no. Some I'm not saying she's illness, like... and Grace is just like gone girl. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like she had to like think about how she was going to look in her head, and like yeah. she had to like, think about her expressions and yeah. make sure her expressions matched what was going on. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Different parts of the book that were like that. It was mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? It's it, it completely rocks your foundation as a reader because I feel like as a reader, we trust the narrator. Mm-hmm. And in this situation, we're not sure what to do because it's just, it's not how books normally go. Right. So it just kind of like shook everything up for me. And I, like, I don't know. It really like, she's like, are you taking me for a ride? Yeah. Like you don't yeah. know what, you don't know what happened. And then, then it's like, you don't believe her. And then you don't know who in the book you should side with. Right. You don't know the good versus evil. Right. They're saying there she's guilty. Well, is she? Because to me, she kind of appears guilty. Yeah. It's crazy because normally there's a very clear good Mm -hmm. and a very clear evil. And there's not here. So Mm -hmm. it's, you can't trust yourself even. Right. So she starts talking with Dr. Jordan. She didn't trust him because she didn't trust doctors. And she doesn't really know like about his intentions. So she kind of walks through, like, growing up in Ireland. She fucking (laughs) slithers, crawls, Mm -hmm. scoots through growing up in Ireland. I swear that that was, like, half the book. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) She literally remembers every single time she washed an article of clothing. And she can't remember the most important detail of her life. Right, right. She remembers everything about... Her mother, like, I mean, her mother married an alcoholic and they moved to Canada to look What's for work. What's funny, though, is that Dr. Jordan, at some point, he's talking to, I think, her lawyer, like, the priest or someone, and he says, she, re- she basically, like, she talks too much. Like, mm-hmm. she says a lot of things she can remember a lot. And then they also said it in the show. That was one of the exact really? lines that they said in the book and the show is kind of like talking about how Grace can literally remember... Every single monotonous detail. Whenever they said that, that was one of those points where it was like, okay, right. 
So why can't you? What what is going on? Yes. Are you lying? Do you really have amnesia? Because like, how convenient. I mean, like, really, I mean, we watched Forensic Files enough to know that, like, oh, I don't remember what happened. All of a sudden, I woke up, and, like, I was holding a gun. <laughs> she probably didn't watch Forensic Files very much. There's also a new season of Forensic Files coming out. I know. I saw that on HD. My kids have told me. On HD? Oh, HLN? ID. HLN! Yeah. They're like, Mom, new Forensic Files is coming out. Um, so, her family moved to Canada to look for work. Her mother died during the trip to Canada, which is very sad. Man, I've never heard that that boat ride. <laughs> it's like that coming to America. Seven hundred and forty three page <laughs> boat ride. I think I could have ridden the boat faster, right. Than we described <laughs> the boat ride. But thank fucking God, I did not have to ride that boat. That thank sounds God, terrible. Because I love a boat, but Jesus Christ, that boat sounds terrible. But yeah, and she really like emphasized how terrible like coming to america was i kind of like that though because normally you hear oh coming to america streets are paved with gold couldn't wait for this she's like no my mom died she's like this shit sucks like everyone's throwing up it smells awful uh-huh. you can you imagine eat. though really i mean terrible it's terrible I, that's the first time that i've ever thought well that is terrible right like you really it's a sacrifice to come here yeah it was always every everything else is always we saved up money enough money to get on the boat come to america when we got to america we didn't have anywhere to go like it was it's just like a Gloss over. Yeah, yeah. it's like a comma. It's like a... No, people died trying to get here. Um, Her dad started being an ass again and made Grace find work. And so she was young, barely a a teenager, and she had to go find work because her dad had to drink. So she started working for a wealthy Toronto family and became friends with Mary Whitney. Mary showed Grace kindness and act kind of like her mother to... Another mother to Grace. Mary became pregnant. I don't mean to laugh. It's just... It was just like, really... Mm. You know, like, as I was re-going through everything, I was like, good grief. Okay, so Mary became pregnant by one of her employer's sons, who refused to marry her. Um, She got an abortion, Mm. and the operation killed her. That is where Grace starts to distrust doctors. Right. Mistrust doctors is right there. Right, and so that's why she didn't, back to, she didn't trust Dr. Jordan. Whenever Mary, whenever her mom died, one of the women on the boat made a big deal about, oh, there's no window to open to let her soul out. And Grace was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, when Mary Whitney dies, she hears a voice, Mary Whitney's voice, say, let me in. And she said, well, she must have made a mistake because she said, let me in and not let me out. So she ran and opened the window. Mm-hmm. So there's that. To the soul's good. That... And that was like, I've heard of that so many times that that was whenever someone died, the windows would be opened. And you cover the mirrors. And you, right, you cover the mirrors. Well, if you're in the South, you cover the mirrors. Right. But you do open the windows so that their soul can leave. So when that happened, it was just kind of like a gloss over point to me. Like, she got an abortion and she died. I think Mary Whitney went and confronted her employer's son and he gave her $5 and told her good luck with herself. And... She wouldn't have the abortion. She came back. She died. It was several weeks after I finished the book that Roe versus Wade was mm-hmm. overturned. or And I immediately thought of Mary Whitney because when I read the book the first time, I was just like, ancient days. Mm-hmm. You know, like that shit's never going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's a reality again. Yep. And I was like, now... You know, a single woman can have a child, and it's not really that big of a deal. 
But there's still that underground. Now there's yeah. this underground element of ha- of getting an abortion, right? And it's fucking scary. That to me reminds me of the of the fucking Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely terrible, like dystopian shit. And this is set. This is in 1800s. I don't know. All of a sudden, it became like a reality, mm-hmm. and it was fucking scary. The first time I read it, I was just like, yeah, well, that can never happen. Doesn't apply to me. Right. Good Does thing, not apply. Good thing now this is done in like a sterile, clean environment and people be, can, can take care of. And now. Yes. Now we're going back to this. So as soon as I heard about this, I immediately like something in my brain went to Mary Whitney and I was like, fuck, this is real. Like this is now, this applies to my life now. Absolutely. So hits a little different. Hits a little different. Okay. So Grace was obviously like really upset. She finds work elsewhere. So she was hired to work for a wealthy Scottish gentleman named Mr. Kinnear. Uh, she worked with two other servants, Nancy Montgomery, who was the housekeeper, and James McDermott, the stable hand. So Nancy was sleeping with Mr. Kinnear. But she was also like, you know how women do, like, he's going to start liking Grace. So Mr. Kinnear, he went to Toronto. Nancy fired gr- both Grace and McDermott. So whenever whenever Grace first gets there, she notices that Nancy has like really fine clothing. She's got gold earrings. She's got like nice bonnets. So I think after a while, Nancy's kind of like being a bitch to Grace. Mm-hmm. She is doing that very weird jealous thing mm-hmm. that a lot of girls do. And I'm not even gonna say women because I don't like I'm sorry. If you're doing that, you're not a real woman. Right. So She's doing that, and it makes Grace angry with her, obviously, Mm -hmm. because no one likes to be treated like that. And then I think Grace starts to notice that Nancy puts herself higher than she actually is. So, Why do you think she does that? Because she's sleeping with the boss. Right. So Grace definitely resents the fact that Nancy's acting higher than her actual position. Like, it's one more, like kindling Mm -hmm. in the fire you know like it's one more thing she's like you're not better than me i don't know why you keep acting better than me and nancy will say things like i'm gonna take my dinner with mr kinnear and you and mcdermott can Mm -hmm. eat in the kitchen with the like where servants eat well that's because well you're not you're not actually the lady of the house you're actually a servant right because nancy appeared she was the wife yes she's definitely doing that Grace says, it's not fair that Nancy should be made a wife and a lady and Mary died when they both committed the same sin. So, Grace is not excited. Grace is very, she seems to have, like, a thorough understanding of the Bible and good and, like, good and Mm -hmm. evil, right versus wrong. So, it's kind of crazy to me that we're not sure. Right. You know? Right, right. So, Grace tries to convince McDermott not to kill Nancy, and then whenever Mr. Kinnear returns, then he, McDermott kills him, too, or whoever. He gets killed. They're unalived. They're, right. They're unalived. This is the part that Grace gets to, and she can't remember anything. Dr. Jordan is listening to all of this, and he's still unsure himself if she's innocent or if she's guilty. Shit. I mean, it's like 200 years later, and right. we're still unsure. <laughs> we don't, we will never, no one will ever know, no. which is... So, like, open-ended. So, he thinks, okay, her amnesia is real, but I don't think she's some kind of criminal, like, mastermind. Mm-hmm. Like, he he thinks her amnesia is, like, f- for real, but that she's not, like, cunning. 
I think he's kind of where I am. Like, she's smart, and maybe she's playing me, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, he doesn't really know where she where it, where it falls. She thinks he's trying to fool him with these, uh, like, she has, like, these half-truths and then lies. And he's just, like, really trying to figure out, like, where, like, what is she doing? Um, and then he starts having his own issues because he starts having these sexual fantasies with involving Grace. And some of them are, like, violent, on edge of kind of weird. I mean, he doesn't like a little light choking. Right. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, and then his hand, and then his hand lady. <laughs> that's the person that's there to give him hand jobs. Right, obviously. hand lady. Um, his landlady or he's his landlord. His blow lady. Right. That's right. He has every appendage <laughs> lady. Um, so Dr. Jordan has some big issues himself. And all in all, I think Grace was like really kind of right about not trusting him because it what started as like maybe was going to help her. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is when we kind of find out what's going on. It kind of like derails goes off the deep end <laughs> well they do the they do the seance what was crazy was throughout grace's employment at her different households they had Jer- jeremiah the peddler would come the peddler the peddler <laughs> he was riding a bike right um he would come and sell like buttons and material and just like you know household mm-hmm. things or whatever to the servants and it was like a good time so she remembers jeremiah very fondly and there's one instance right before Kinnear and Nancy are killed where Jeremiah is like, come away with me. Like, your future doesn't look good here. But he's also talking about wanting to stop selling things and become like a like a showman, but mm-hmm. like a spiritualist showman. Right. So, obviously, like, spiritualism is getting kind of popular. It's like a, mm-hmm. a trendy thing. And he wants Grace to come with him and kind of be like the lady that's sold in half, you know, like your right. assistant or whatever. So and that's going to be like an act. Well, that's why I didn't really trust him either because I didn't know his intentions. Right. So it's going to be like an act. And Grace is, she doesn't know what to do. Like she wants to go with them because she's not happy with her situation. But then they kept calling it situation. Where you work is called a situation. Right. Like my situation at the Kinnear household, my situation at the whatever. <laughs> But she said, well, are we to be married then? Because we're going to be traveling together. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, why would I marry you? And she was like, well, then I'd better stay here. And she puts on these, like, good girl yeah, airs. Right. So I'm, I've, and I say airs because I'm not sure about No her. one's sure. So she says several things like that. Like, she's constantly, like, you know, people are, uh, McDermott's trying to get into her bedroom at night. Or, like, Kinnear's chasing her around. And she's constantly trying to, like, protect her vajayjay from everybody it sounded it was Apparently, very like i'm so glad i don't live there because it sounds like men are just walking dicks and they're just trying to stick it in you everywhere absolutely you like you could just be like you're checking the mail oh and all of a sudden dick like, oh, dick right there's a dick right and what like that? this book is full of like let me put it in you like that's all men were there for no absolutely and like women are just trying to like protect themselves like i'm just trying to get the eggs out of the chicken coop right i'm not trying to be raped right now right right can i just can i not go to the bathroom at night without worrying about being raped isn't that crazy i feel like we've come so far but we haven't Right. right see that was another thing is like you know i'm not gonna like you know go walking around at midnight but i can I can go to the store without this huge fear of being like, I'm not constantly Mm -hmm. 
trying to protect myself that way. You know, like, yeah. I know that there's a risk, uh-huh. whatever. But it's not, like, this constant fear in my mind. And it was the same way with, like, Mary Whitney's death is, like, you know, if I needed to get an abortion, like, mm-hmm. whatever, I can just get one. And now it's, like, well, fuck. Right. So, Dr. Jordan has a, someone he knows, named Dr. DuPont. No, they're not friends. Dr. DuPont just shows up. It's Jeremiah. Okay. It was very fake to yeah, me. Yeah, his name is Jerome DuPont. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Jerome DuPont. Yeah. Jerem- was- Jerome Jeremiah. Right. It was very, like, uh, okay. That was determined to be a lie. <laughs> right, right. So she gets hypnotized. Dr. Jordan's like, we're going to get to the bottom of this. I'm not sure that he's, like, totally on board with it, but he, like, allows it. Yeah, like, he's... I think because it was trendy. Like, the governess mm-hmm. and her daughters were, like, super into this. Like, they had a spiritualism group. I, yeah. They were super into it. And because it was their household and just, like, the way things were, then he more or less allowed it to happen. But he was, he understood that as a medical doctor, if he were to endorse this, he would be laughed at. He is not on board with like the spiritual stuff that's going on. But I think he had his own kind of like selfish reasons. If she's innocent, maybe I can take her with me. Right. It's like kind he, of what I got. Like, that wasn't explicitly said. No, but. it wasn't said. But it was like these undertones of like, if she proves to be innocent, then like, she will make a good wife. For right. <laughs> there. That was another thing is his mother kept writing to him, wanting him to get married. And then he kept having these like dreams of grace. And yeah, and like, he's over here like fucking the landlady, but like thinking of grace. This and, is like, so weird. Kind of it's so weird it was so uncomfortable i think that he wanted her to be and i think that was like his okay go ahead because he wanted any shape where form for her to be innocent so he could like take her on or whatever so that she could be the nancy to his kinnear yeah so she gets quote unquote hypnotized and she starts speaking in this weird voice which i don't even know if i believe okay so let me side note right here for the netflix show mm-hmm Mary Whitney had this, like, very strange voice. It was, like, okay. very strange voice, right? Mm-hmm. And Grace Marks was Irish. And she had, like, a very soft, like, Irish accent. Like, very pleasant voice. And Mary Whitney's was more, like, I would consider her like more like a Jersey girl. Yeah. You know, like, kind of like a harsh accent. Mm-hmm. It was very different than right. Grace Marks. During the hypnotism, she takes on Mary Grace? Whitney's yes okay. Grace takes on Mary Whitney's voice and it's a very long monologue that Grace speaks during the hypnotism in the show she said that she got Mary Whitney to say the monologue she recorded it and then she sat and practiced and practiced and practiced over and over so that she could because she she doesn't straight out talk she more of like a whisper mm-hmm. so she kind of has to like make a voice within a voice mm-hmm. and I thought that was a a really cool touch that she went to those great lengths to make sure that she had Mary Whitney's voice. That is pretty cool because by then you're reading this book and you don't know who, what is up, what is down, like who's telling the truth. Like, is she full of shit? Like what? So when it's like talking about this voice and everything, I was kind of like, "Mm, are you sure? I thought it was like a way of her to like be more convincing. And another thing is, it was her old friend, Jeremiah, who we already know can, like, put on an act. Mm-hmm. 
So, and then he, like, shows up, and they have this secret gesture of, like, putting your finger on your side of your nose, like Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> don't say anything. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. So, whenever he walks in, and he's introduced as Dr. DuPont, he, he immediately puts his finger, puts on, his finger on the side of his nose, and Grace pretends, like, she doesn't know who he is, mm-hmm. when all the while, this is, like, her old friend, and now he's pretending to be this doctor, and it's kind of like, maybe they have this unspoken thing of, like, this is of Jeremiah's way of coming back and, like, helping her out because he knows her and she kind of, like, goes along with it and, like, says what she thinks is going to get her off the hook. And since spiritualism and, like, possessions are a trendy thing, Mm -hmm. she knows that these people are going to believe it. Which is why I didn't really believe the voice. So, basically, she, the greatest revelation of the book comes out then, during the hypnotism, that Grace was possessed by Mary Whitney. But I didn't believe that, though. But that's what happened. That's that's what was revealed. And that was, like, the great twist of the book, basically. Yeah. I get. I mean, but I didn't... I personally didn't even see it as a twist. I didn't... I don't know. Like, I guess I saw it differently. I guess I, I saw it more of, like, a um, way of her kind of, like, being conniving, I guess. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I just didn't really... I don't know. Another thing to cast doubt that she actually did the murders. Right. Yeah. That's why I was, like... It, like, took a hard left of, into, like, fake world. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's got this voice. And now she's like, I was possessed. And it was like, anything I can do, like, I can't remember. I was possessed. I'm now taking on this other person. Okay, well, here's another thing. Is some people say that maybe Grace Marks was schizophrenic. Hmm. That could account for the other personality. Because what they were trying to say is that whenever Grace committed the murders, she was actually Mary Whitney. And Mary Whitney was committing the murders. I don't know, but it doesn't happen any other time. But it would it would explain a lot, though. So, I don't know. That was just one of the things that came up. There's another thing in this book. Okay, so Dr. Jordan does ask if she's communicating as Mary Whitney. And the voice says, yes. <laughs> um, and that she assisted McDermott in the murders and that Grace took no part in them. But she was completely innocent. <laughs> and then my next line is, Dr. Jordan abruptly leaves Kingston never to return. <laughs> yeah but that dude like Like, the whole time we think that he's like this good doctor no like well see to me he seems like more of a gentleman yeah because he's i don't know he's like kind of hanging out with the society ladies and stuff and like but that's what i thought at the beginning he's fucking his landlady who's married but i think that was more of a like she snuck in and like hopped on his dick type thing And also (laughs) that lady was stealing medicine from him. Like she was kind of like a... Addict. Yes. So once his landlady got a little too clingy, he sent her off on this wild goose chase. And while she's out trying to like get prescriptions or whatever, then he fucking flees. Yeah, he leaves. So even even like the one man we think is like an okay dude is not. When he was introduced in the book, I was like, okay, this is the turning point of the story. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This man's trying to help her. No. No, 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 no. He's got this pill head landlady that he's having sex with, and then he wants grace, and then, like, he flees in the night. Never to return again. Ha, ha, ha. He does nothing in the way of... He doesn't help. It was, like... It was, like, pointless. Like, what are you even doing? It was. It was very <laughs> pointless. It was extremely pointless. So, Grace remains in prison for an additional 13 years. 13 years! 13 years! And then she gets a pardon. At 46, she leaves and goes to Ithaca, New York. We don't know why she gets a pardon. We don't know why she's able to leave. No, but she goes and marries Jamie Jamie Welsh. Welsh. 
who she knew once she worked at Richmond Hill. He testified against her, like, during her trial. He believed that she was innocent afterwards, and then he, like, begged for her forgiveness. So, I think that one of the things with her is that once Grace and McDermott fled, she put on Nancy's clothes. They gathered up all the valuables, and Jamie Welsh had had a crush on Nancy, but then whenever Grace came, then he saw Nancy as, like, unattainable because everyone knew she was, like, with Kinnear. Mm Mm-hmm. So he saw Nancy as unattainable and kind of, like, transferred his crush to Grace. Grace. Well, once Jamie came to the trial, she is wearing Nancy's clothes. Which everyone was like... You're guilty. Yeah. Like, that's a total guilt thing. But also for Jamie, that's a, like, now you're, you're like, this high society lady. Like, right. you're unattainable to me. And Grace says... That once he sees her in court wearing Nancy's clothes, he felt betrayed in love and would do all in his power to destroy her. So then they end up married. And then does she, is there like an allusion to like a pregnancy towards the end? Like she doesn't know if she's like pregnant or old. Doesn't know if she's pregnant. And then I went to try to find like any type of record of maybe that if she was or not. I couldn't find anything. So I couldn't find any evidence of dr jordan so obviously i think dr jordan mm-hmm. is just like a way to get the story told yeah kind of like in a setting where she has control over it you know like that, I, I mean that's a really good writing device no to have it is. her tell her story so i couldn't I, find jeremiah couldn't find jeremiah nope. i couldn't find any evidence of the seance but again that could be playing to like the times mm-hmm. like what was popular during these times and like what people would have thought why people would have thought one way or another and then I couldn't find any evidence of her going back and marrying Jamie Welsh. That could have just been like a cute little like meet cute. Like, yeah, because I thought whatever. it was way too convenient. I, to me, what I found was that she moved to she moved to New York and then she kind of like lived her life. And she was never heard never from again. But she kind of lived her life by herself and like just kind of fell off the radar. So, guilty or innocent? Guilty. I'm still unsure, but. The forensics lead me to guilty. Yeah. You know, like, innocent, here's what I have. She could have gotten another job. Mm-hmm. She was only there for three weeks. Yeah, she wasn't there very long. Like, so you're there for three weeks and you hate them enough to kill them? Like, that doesn't make sense. Kinnear paid her really well. So she would have had enough money. She didn't have a reason to kill him. Exactly. She could have also gotten back to Toronto pretty easily to find another situation. Right. You know, like she had money saved up. It doesn't look like they're really spending any of their own money for food or like. No, because they were not much. No, to spend your own money on. Mr. Kinnear was like taking care of them. Right. I think she worked at like two or three houses by the time. This was like her third house. Mm -hmm. It looked as though only thing you'd have to really spend your own money on is your clothing. Right. Because you're you're working 24 seven and you're getting fed there. And you're living there. Living there. So. And then she even says plainly that she could have poisoned them without any help from anyone. She wouldn't have had to ask McDermott for any help. If she wanted to kill him, she could have poisoned them and would have just done it by herself. Right. She's smart enough to know to not bludgeon them to death. And it wouldn't have been as messy. Right. Because McDermott mentions killing Nancy in the bedroom and she says, for heaven's sake, not on the fucking rug. Right. Well, she doesn't say fucking. <laughs> right. She's too we much of a lady. About this rug. However, I do think that McDermott did start the murder and she helped out. I do think she's guilty. I think they're both. But I could see 
I think at one point, she kind of changes her story. She changes her story the whole time. At one time, she says that McDermott started killing him, and she went along with it because if she didn't, he was going to kill her. Well, like, I can guarantee you, if you start killing someone and you're like, you better help me or I'm going to kill you too, like, eh, probably going to help you. Definitely going to help you. You know, so like, and he's this man and she's this, like, girl, basically. I mean... He's 20 and she's 16, but that's a big difference. It's a big difference, especially back then. Even, well, it is now too, but I don't think that she had amnesia. So, no, I don't think she had amnesia either. I think that was an act. So, reading it, I wanted her to be innocent Mm -hmm. because she seemed like such a pleasant person. And she seemed, even though she was just a servant, she really did hold herself high. Right. Like she, was, she like respected herself a lot. She did. And she carried herself very well. And I wanted her to be innocent because I thought it was going to be like empowering and like, oh, like prove everybody wrong. Yes. But she couldn't get her shit straight. So I was like, well, you're probably, okay, no, no. I think you're guilty. Then like, it's the Nancy's clothes. Like I'm with Jamie. Like, why did you have to put on Nancy's clothes? You're that smart. You know, you know better. Right. I could see like gathering up. I, I don't know. I could kind of see gathering up the valuables, but, like, then you put on her clothes? Right. Like, that's it was too much. very, like, uh, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. She does withhold information. I don't buy the amnesia thing, too. So, mm-hmm. she's, like, withholding information and, like, trying to portray, like, her best self to him. So, and that's what she showed people was... Like, her fake... Yes. Almost like a psychopath. Yeah. And she definitely knew how to read a room. One thing that was, seemed really important was the quilts. Mm-hmm. And I still can't, like, every chapter was named after a quilt pattern. Did you know that? Yeah. They actually had a picture of the quilt there, like, on the front the, where it said Jagged Edge or mm-hmm. Tree of Paradise. Or mm-hmm. they had a picture of the pattern there. I can't quite put my finger on why they're important, but I know that they're really important to the book. Maybe it's because we're, like... We're getting nuggets of information here and there, and we're trying to, like, piece them together to mm-hmm. form a whole. Maybe like, so. like, what I could come up with. And then there's also, like, quilts for different milestones in a woman's mm-hmm. life. So, like, maybe that has something to do with well, it. Well, she's talking to Dr. Jordan, and she's talking about quilts. She's quilting, quilting while she's talking. While she's talking, and she, how they correspond, like he said, to a rites of passage in a woman's life. Um there's a quote, I have thought, why is it that women have chosen to sew such flags and then to lay them on the tops of beds? For they make the bed the most noticeable thing in a room. And then I have thought, it's for a warning. Because you may think a bed is a peaceful thing, sir, but it isn't so for everyone. And there are many dangerous things that may take place in a bed. So people are born, back then, mm-hmm. born in a bed. You die in a bed. And then the act that takes and the place between, that says, sir. Right. She describes many quilts that she used to air out and repair while working for Miss Parkinson. How she notes that the quilts are all strung up on the line. She used to think they look like flags left by an army marching to war. So I think to her, it's like a quilt is like a store of like beginning and end and all these things, these jumbled things that go together like in a person's life. And then also it ended... Where she's making, for the first time, her own quilt. Mm-hmm. So when she gets married to Jamie Wells, she makes her own quilt. And she makes a tree of paradise. And she has a piece of fabric from Mary, Mary Whitney, Whitney's. Her petticoat. Her petticoat. And then she's got one from Nancy Montgomery's dress. Yep. And her prison nightgown. And then her own prison nightgown so that they can all three be together. Yes. So they can 
Yeah. So all three women will all be together. Like she loved Mary Whitney. Mm-hmm. Like that's obviously that's her mom. That's like her, just like her mom to her. In the show, they made it out to be like her fun friend. Oh, that's but weird. I thought it was strange. I guess like why would she want Nancy Montgomery on her quilt? I thought that too. But she had the dress that Nancy wore when Grace first came to Mister Kinnear's house. I don't know. I just thought that was like I didn't know why she would want Nancy. And I wouldn't know why they were, she wanted them all to be together. Right. I didn't understand that. Like, do you want to die? Is this a cry for help? Did they not have a suicide hotline? I didn't understand that. I guess it was kind of like sisterhood. Maybe. maybe. I did like Grace for that because she didn't do that weird jealousy thing that I hate. Yeah. With women, like girls. Yeah. So how many stars would you give this book? Uh, Three and a half. Okay. Why? I liked the writing. It was very slow. I did like it. I think that Margaret Atwood... Is a good storyteller, mm-hmm. um, but she does kind of, like, drag things out. I like the story. Yes. And like I said, I wish I had read it again for the first time, knowing that all of this was true. Yeah. But that's my fault for not. But I I picked up the book, and I was like, okay, chapter one. Yeah. I didn't know to, like, Google well, it. Well, I mean, we don't normally research books before we read them. Right. And then afterwards, I was like, well, oh, wish I would have known. I don't like that there's no ending. Margaret Atwood can't help that. Yes. I mean, that's not her. Same. Whenever I got done with this book, I was like, this book fucking sucks. <laughs> Two stars. Like, fucking hate you. Why did you make me read this shit? This is <laughs> <He> stupid. <laughs> well, I think you, like, texted me. You're like, <laughs> Like, throw up emoji. Yeah. So, just to pick up and read this book by myself, I wouldn't. I would have. It would have been a DNF. I would have not. <laughs> Terrible Finished F. this thing. But the more I got into it, I was listening to it on an audiobook. I found myself like doing more chores, mm-hmm. like working out a little bit longer because I, I wanted to know what was going to happen. Right. Because you want to know. I want to know. Right. Yeah. And I thought there was going to be like some big twist at the mm-hmm. end. And when there wasn't, I was so. That's mad. the thing. It's like you read through the book because you're like trudging through it and you're like, okay, we're going to find out. Like, like this obviously. Is a lot to get through. There better be a, some big Yes. Yeah, like we're going we're gonna to find out. 20 years later, we find Grace sitting on her on her veranda and she apologizes for all the bad things she did and the murder but that doesn't happen the end so when i first finished it i would have said two stars like and i honestly still would not recommend this book to like the average person average reader Mm -hmm. you know like maybe someone scholarly like real smart person okay i'd be like you might like this book i don't know if i like that though (laughs) <laughs> thanks nobody that i know has ever been up for a nobel prize in literature so sadly me either right but that's okay it was probably three or four weeks after i read the book that i was like this was based on the real people margaret atwood had zero control over what happened all she could do was spin the web mm-hmm. of some of the minor details around it but she didn't have any control over it looking back on it there's a lot to discuss you know like we yeah. talked about spiritualism class we talked Sexism. about quilts, yes. feminism. Like, there's so much here to discuss, and there's so much more that, like, I probably didn't even understand mm-hmm. to discuss that I think this is at least a four-star book. What? So, it's it's just a little boring and monotonous with, like, you know, I could sit here and describe to you my day-to-day chores. Like, whenever I clean the bathroom, first I pick up my toothbrush and I put it away. And then I, like, vacuum the floor. And then I fill up a container with some water. And then I scrub this the right sink. You know, like, I can sit here and describe to you what I do in minute detail. And that's boring as fuck. And that's a lot of this book. 
But I think that she did that, like you said, to be like, there's no way she doesn't remember the murders. Yeah. So I think that was just another writing tool that I just wasn't smart enough to get. Maybe at first. Yeah. I did find when I was reading this, I felt like I was in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was so monotonous at times. The book is very chunky. It was very, very like, (sighs) okay, next page. It was a chore to read. It was. Because you don't want to read about chores. She loves to do chores and she likes to tell you everything about her chores. I think that that. Margaret Atwood was the correct person to tell Grace's story. However, I think that... Margaret does it, Margaret, with first name basis here. Yeah. Does it in a way that is, makes us feel like we're there. She obviously had to do a lot of research because if you ask me, like, how to, like, what needs to be done in the 1800s, I don't know. Ride a horse? Like, I literally don't know. I don't know. But the way that she described everything really does take you back. It's Mm -hmm. a very good period piece. Very. And I think that it's almost aggravating when you're reading it. That's what took me by surprise when I found out the story was real because it was like, but you knew so much. It was a story and then it like hits you that this shit's real. Well, what's real and what's fake? Margaret. Yeah. Grace. A lot of people really love this book. They do. I don't think I even looked on Goodreads for like bad reviews, which I should have. But I looked on TikTok and everyone was just singing its praises. Like nobody said this book sucks. I don't think it sucks. I don't think it sucks either. It was just Just, hard. It was difficult. There were some people's like, I wish I could read this book for the first time. So to me, this feels like a book that you read in college and you spend a semester Mm -hmm. on it, unpacking the book in like you're uncovering why it's so good. You know, like, it's a book that you start off like, eh, I don't know, like, it's a book. But by the end of that semester, after you still probably have some things to talk about on it, you realize, like, what a genius piece of writing this book is. That really is. It's just, it's just as, you're, you're re- <laughs> as you're reading it, you're like, people read, this is an entertaining book for people? People were not forced to read this because of a podcast. Lady on TikTok is the whole reason we read this. What's her name? Claire. Claire on TikTok. She's the reason why. I was like, okay, yes, got to read it. So moving on. I also read My Evil Mother, which is a short story by Margaret Atwood, Mm -hmm. because I didn't want everything that I had to say about Margaret Atwood to be Handmaid's Tale, which people say that doesn't represent her writing as a whole. Mm -hmm. It's very different. Alias Grace, I feel like she didn't have control over the story since it was a true crime Mm -hmm. story, basically. So I feel like she didn't have, like, ultimate control over that. I would have, like, that one wrapped up in, like, a definitive Mm -hmm. guilty or innocent, but she didn't... Nobody knows. And that's that's the whole point of the story, is, like, Margaret Atwood does an amazing job of you in the book, and you're like, what the fuck? Did she she do it or not? And that's kind of the point of her book. So Mm -hmm. she did a really good job with that. So I also read My Evil Mother, a little short story that she wrote, and I, I finished that, and I was like, oh, that was stupid. But then as I got to thinking about it, I was like, actually, it was good. And it was how many pages? It was, I don't know, 30, 40? I don't know. It was like an essay. Yeah, it was one of those, if you have, like, Amazon Prime, you can get this for free on the Kindle app. It was, like, this woman, and she's talking about her childhood, and her mom's, like, kind of into, like, witchy things, and think their mom's so stupid, and her mom, like you know, will, like, put a spell on people and whatever. And she thinks it's so dumb. And she's, like, in this lifelong battle with the neighbor who's also a witch. And, you know, when she's little, she, like, kind of goes along with it. But then as she gets older, she realizes that her mom's, like, 
cool and want to over on her. You know, her mom also kind of uses this like a, you better go do this or right, else this I'm going to have okay. to curse you or whatever. Uh-huh. So as she gets older, she like has this big falling out with her mom. She goes like through periods where she won't talk to her mom for a couple years and then they'll kind of like get together for a couple months and then she'll get mad at her mom and won't talk to her, whatever. And then she has her own children and then it ends with her telling her kid, well, you better go do this or else I'm going to. Oh. You know? So it was kind of that. It like comes I, full circle. It comes full, full circle. circle. Yeah. And when I finished it, I was like, well, that was dumb. Like, she didn't like her mom. So, like, I don't understand why she's doing that. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, it's obviously, like, you know, we always kind of become our mothers. <laughs> so, like, good luck to our kids. <laughs> mm, I mean, I, that, I mean, I, I, there's times I realize I'm like, wait. Yeah. yeah, so I actually, like, upon thinking, that's why I'm saying, like, to me, Margaret Atwood is not someone you just casually pick up and read. She's obviously a very intelligent woman, and her writing is not to be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. She's she's not a Colleen Hoover, you know? Like, yeah. Anybody can pick that up and enjoy that book, and you, you love it, that's great. But to me, Margaret Atwood is someone that is, like, scholarly level. Everything she writes, every word is intentional, mm-hmm. and I just don't get it sometimes. Like, you got to dig a little deeper, for sure. It's for smart people. <laughs> so, that's how I feel about Margaret Atwood. But I also, I downloaded um, Stone Mattress, which is like a collection of short stories, although they seem intertwined. So, I read like the first chapter slash short story, and it was mm-hmm. actually really good. I liked it. I think she's an amazing writer that makes you think a little bit more, and there's nothing wrong with that. I also kind of like how even Handmaid's Tale, I didn't like it, but the story of it was really good. Mm -hmm. So I like how at first I feel one way, and then if I think about it, if I actually put some time and energy into, like, unpacking the story myself, I'm like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's pretty cool, so... Okay, so I think our August books, we're going to do something a little different. We're just doing Grady Hendrix. Yep. So Misty's reading a book. I'm on my second one of his. You're doing? Horror Store. And I read the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, and then I just started my best friend's Exorcism. So we're going to talk about those books in August, which is, he's kind of like a horror writer. So he I don't know is. We didn't say that for like October, but. Would you say he's a horror writer? Uh, like satirical? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Comedy horror? Yeah, yeah. Which is good because I have been wanting to get into horror. Mm -hmm. Horror is not my thing. I do not watch scary movies. I don't like to be scared. I'm one of those people who, when I get up to pee at night, I jump three (laughs) feet away from my bed. And then when I come back, I jump into the bed. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I run and jump into the bed so that the monsters under my bed don't grab my ankles. Exactly. I can't sleep with my feet out of the covers because, obviously, the monsters are going to get me. Like, I can't even watch Stranger Things right before we go to sleep. I think that he's a good introduction into horror. Yes. All right. So, we'll see you all next month with Grady Hendrix. Okay. Bye. Bye. Chance. Chance or Rooney. I've never I've never opened any window. Oh, no one's ever died here. <laughs> no one's died here, so I haven't really had to do that. But I will keep that in mind. I've never opened the windows when someone died. <laughs> we don't live like, in a hospital. Hmm.